As we mentioned and we talked about a, a little bit up to this point, that God has really given us a vision for our future. You know, it's really fun when God begins to lay out some things for us. And in Scripture, a lot of times God does this, and he uses prophets, and he uses prophecy, and he will speak to various men and women, and he'll tell them, like, say, for instance, Moses. We're going to talk about the children of Israel this morning, but if you go way back in the story, Moses gets a call from God. He says, listen, I want to set my people free, and I want to use you to do it. Of course, if you go back and read the beginning of Exodus, you'll find that, that he didn't feel very worthy. He didn't feel like he was the right man for the job. And as we were prone to do, <laughs> we're talking about listening to his voice this morning. Sometimes when God tells us something, we argue back how we think our plan is better than his plan, right? But how many of you know his plan is always the best plan? Anybody say amen with me this morning? His plan is always the best plan because he not only knows what's good for you, but he knows what's good for the people around you and for the people that he wants to touch and bring into his kingdom. Amen? And so the, uh, the vision that God has given us as a church is, a, is an epic one. Aha, epic. We are the center of epic. I don't know if you heard about this. We are the epic center, epicenter. And we believe that God has really given us prophetic words and pictures of what that will look like. We've seen countless prophecies spoken over us about God wanting us to be uh, an, a regional revival center, that God wants to use us to be the center of something that he wants to do in this whole region. And again, we don't know exactly what that looks like because, for one thing, I don't even know what region means. Region could mean this next few towns right around us, this region. Region might mean all of northern Illinois, Region might mean, you know, Wisconsin and Indiana and Minnesota and Ohio and Michigan. I mean, it might be regional and that. I don't know. But I don't even know. We, we can trust God with what we don't know because we can trust God with what we do know. Amen? So how many of you think it's okay to just trust him with the future and the plans, but that it's vitally important that we get off, off our butts and get moving in the direction that he starts leading? Amen? I think for... Oftentimes in the church of Jesus Christ, the church is way too sedentary. Sedentary. You know what that means? You sit and wait for somebody else to do it. And then you jump on. Like, here's the deal. How many of you have been Cubs fans for a very long time? Like more than a decade. <laughs> I know we got some diehards here. <laughs> Mr. Don. Right. So you guys have been through the lean years. And then did it bother you at all that when the Cubs are set to win the World Series, all of a sudden everybody's a Cubs fan, right? But in your heart, you know, Mr. Don, and you know, Ron, you know, if you're a Cubs fan, you're a Cubs fan from the beginning, and you went through this whole thing, amen? And I feel like God is in the beginning stages of doing something in our town and in our region that we get to look back on and say, hey, you know what? I was there at the beginning, I was there when that thing first started, that thing that, you know, got to be this huge thing. You know, when we get to the end of our days, how, how did I spend them? We talked about this last week a little bit. How did I spend my days? What did I invest in? What did I use my time and my money and my effort, my passion? See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pretty happy because when I roll into the finish line, I'm going to be going, God, two things. Number one, I loved you with all my heart. And number two, I didn't get off course. I stayed on track with what you told me to do. That's what I did. 
And I believe so strongly that God has given us a vision. And I'm going to be encouraging us over the next few weeks here to own the vision. I mean, you're already here in this church, and this is the vision. And whether you get on board and whether you're a part of it and whether you own it personally, that's just that's your decision. Nobody can make that decision for you. But I want to invite you to come. Some of you have been on this vision for a while, and, and it's been awesome to walk alongside of you. But some of you are newer to us, and we're inviting you to come and be a part of what God is doing. And I want to just tell you, this isn't something that I dreamed up. It's not something that the deacon leadership dreamed up. Even our vision team, going back to Chirito and Amanda and, and all of that, but even all the way back to those days, this is something we feel God has called us to, to be an apostolic Regional Revival Center. It's a whole new thing. I want to say it's a new season. We're moving into some new things. We're going to talk about it today a little bit more. But I want you to take, first of all, as we get started, five minutes. I want you to take five minutes at your table. And I want you just to talk about a time in your life, perhaps, where you moved into a new season yourself. It may mean uh, a new family situation, maybe a, a marriage, maybe, a, you know, having a kid or maybe a new job or God has moved you to a new place. Sometime in your life where you moved into a new season, you just knew it was a brand new start and a brand new way of doing things. And I want you to talk about that season of your life and what it felt like and the things that required of you to do things in a new way. Because I would propose this morning that new seasons require new ways of doing things, Right? How many of you are shoveling snow in the summertime? Nobody. I'm looking at my garage yesterday, and I'm like, I get to put the snowblower in the back shed. I, need, I get it out of my garage, my shovels, all that stuff. Why? Because it's a new season, right? So take five minutes, and I want you to talk about a time when your season changed and the things that you had to do different in that new season. Okay? Five minutes. Ready? Go.
Okay, we'll give you one more minute. One more minute. Let's bring it back. How many of you feel like you're in a new season in your own life right now? Raise your hand. How many of you feel like you're in a new season? You're moving into a new season right now. Wow, look at that. Look around you. You see all those hands? That's really something. Boy, the one thing about life we know that never changes is that life always changes. Right? It, never, it never stops. It never quits changing. And so um, that's really interesting that God has a position like that. I want to take your Bibles this morning, turn to Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. We'll start with the beginning there. And again, as you're going there, let me just bring us up to speed. We've talked a little bit about the children of Israel and their journey. They've come out of, of slavery and bondage in Egypt. They come through the wilderness. It's supposed to just take a few days to get to the promised land. But it ends up taking them 40 years because of some disobedience and not trusting God. So they end up wandering in the wilderness. We say it wandering, but I think it had purpose. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they have this time in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're coming up to the promised land again. It's time for them to move from a season of wandering and a season of the wilderness, and now to move into a new season, a new time of moving into the promised land. And so we find in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Then Joshua rose early in the morning. And uh, again, let me just stop right there. Moses has been leading the children of Israel up to this point. Moses died. Now Joshua takes over. He's the new leader as they're moving into this new season. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. And they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, With the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Everybody say, go after it. Amen. Verse 4, however, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. You have not passed this way before. As we mentioned, new seasons require new ways of doing things. Very seldom do we find that the things that worked in the past work in the future in the same way. Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to do something in a new season that you did in an old season, and it just doesn't fly? It just doesn't work. <clears throat> you see, the children of Israel are now in a unique place. For 40 years, they have been following God but how do they know how how did they follow God in those 40 years? Somebody want to tell me? How did God lead them, the children of Israel, 
up until this point. Right? Right. Fire, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. How did they know where they were going? They look up and they see this tangible awesomeness of God leading them everywhere they went. When, they, when the cloud stopped, they stopped. When the fire moved, they moved, right? Now they get to this new season of the life, and guess what? There's a new way of doing things. Because now God says through Joshua to the children of Israel, he says, listen, I want you to follow the priests as they carry the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant uh, contained the, the Ten Commandments. They contained some the, the precious things of God, it was, in essence, the representation of the presence of God. And I always thought, you know, that's interesting, isn't it? Because up until that point, they saw the cloud and they saw the fire as the presence of God. They knew that. And they were following Moses, and Moses' leadership included the cloud and the fire, right? But now they come into a new season. They have a new leader. They're moving into a new land, and they have a new way that God says, I want to lead you. He said, listen, I want you to follow this ark. This is the very presence of God. And if you say that, you read that, it says 2,000 cubits. They were to stay 2,000 cubits away. 2,000 cubits is, you know, by varying definitions, anywhere from a half a mile to a mile distance that they said, we want you to follow it and follow the priests that are carrying it, but we want you to, to stay back. And one of the reasons they wanted them to stay back was because, you know, now we're talking about probably upwards of 2 million people or more in this whole thing. And if you were in the front row and you were right up on the Ark of the Covenant, could anybody else see it? No. See, they wanted the Ark of the Covenant out front. Why? So that everybody following could see that's God and those are his priests and we're following them. We're going to follow them. And I love the fact that God doesn't stay the same. The way God does some things changes. Now, mind you, he doesn't change, but the way he does things in our lives changes, and we have to be flexible and ready to do that. Amen? I love that you've never been this way before. Many of you have heard me the last couple of months. Uh, we were getting ready to move and, and uh, move out of a, of a denomination, the Assemblies of God that we were in, and we moved out of that. And we were right on the, on the cusp of doing that, making that decision and making those, those, uh, those, those choices and God woke me up in the middle of the night, and, he, and he, that phrase, you've never been this way before. And, of course, I read the Bible, and I've read these verses before, but it had been a long time since I had visited them. And so I got out my, my Google. You can find everything on Google, man. If you don't know where a verse is, Google is awesome. Seriously, it'll send you to anywhere in the Bible. And so I looked it up. Sure enough, Joshua chapter 3, and this was the verse. And I felt like God said, listen. We're going to go into a new season, and it's a new way of doing things, and there's some things that we're going to accomplish that we've talked about before, but now we're actually going to do them. And you just need to be ready to be flexible. So everybody, just loosen up a little bit. Go ahead. Be like, Dad, maybe give a person next to you a little back rub. Okay, that's a good idea. Everybody turn to the right, do a little back rubby thing. Come on. Really? The rest of you? That's right. Well, the problem with my wife being gone is I don't get a back rub, but anyway. But <laughs> loosen up. Be ready. Be flexible with what I've got for you. God has a plan, and it comes with supernatural provision that you may know the way you should go. I love that. He says, you don't, 
You don't know the way you should go, but follow my priest and follow the, my presence, and you will know where to go. That's pretty good advice even for today, isn't it? That God puts people and, you know, apostolic leadership and those kind of things in the church to follow them. You know, like, I don't know everything, and so I like to listen to people that know a lot more than I do. That's why I listen to Bill Johnson a lot out of Reading. I listen to Randy Clark. I listen to these different guys, and I read different things. Why? Because these are guys that are out ahead of me, and I want to know, God, what are you saying? And, and, and I'll go ahead and follow these guys because I trust the message, and I trust the messenger. And I can fall in line with that, and, and, and so there's that aspect to it. But the other part is follow the presence, man. The Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. It signified the presence of God. You know why it's so important that we take time on Sunday mornings like we just did today to listen to his voice? What are we really doing? We're in his presence. And we're saying, God, I'm not in charge. You are. What I have to say is not nearly as important as what you have to say. And so, Lord, I, I'm listening. I want to I be in your presence. I want to know where we, you know, it's that song we sing. If you go to the right, left, we'll go to the left. If you go to the right, we'll go to the right. I'm doing it backwards for you guys, aren't I? If you go to the left, <laughs> you go to the right. Right? Why? Because, God, we want to hear your voice. We want to be in your presence, and we want to follow what you're doing. Amen? And so it's interesting, isn't it? If you take the children of Israel... And they were in bondage in Egypt. They were in slavery for several hundred years, many hundred years. And it was a really horrible situation, wasn't it? I mean, you can only imagine having to make bricks and just slavery and the whole horribleness of the whole thing. And God says, listen, I heard their cries, and I'm going to send Moses, and I'm gonna, I want to set them free. I want to bring them out of bondage and captivity, and not just to set them free, but I'm going to set them up with, with great wealth that the very ones who were their captors now are going to be the ones who provide for them for, with the wealth that they need to move on into the next stage of their lives. And so if you read the book of Exodus, of course, you see that picture being played out. You find the children of Israel were in a season of bondage and a season of slavery, and then what? Moses comes, and the plagues of Egypt, and the ten plagues, and you see them moving out of that season and into a new season. So here you have million-plus people uh, that have been in bondage and slavery, and now they're moving into freedom. How many of you know moving from bondage and slavery into freedom is a big new season? Amen? And some of you have experienced that, haven't you? You were in, in sin, and you were in bondage, and you were in places, and then God set you free. I was talking to a gentleman this week that had come out of the bondage of pornography. He'd been in pornography, and it consumed his life, and, and, and how God set him free and, and broke the chains, right? Amen? Broke the chains and set him onto a new course. And he will tell you that the season of being free is way different than the season of being in bondage in pornography, right? This season is way better. And here's the thing I love about God. He wants to move you into better seasons, I'm not saying they're going to be easy all the time, but they're better seasons. So he moves them from slavery and bondage that season into the season of being what we call the wilderness wanderings, right? They, uh, they didn't get it right when they first got to the promised land and they, God said move and they didn't and he said don't and they did. And so that obedience thing, they were having trouble with them. But for 40 years, they were in the wilderness wanderings. And it's interesting, in that season... In that season, even though 
they were not in the promised land. They were still on their way to the promised land. Now, mind you, it took a while. But in that season, if you read through the book of Exodus again, you'll find things like God providing for them supernatural food on the desert floor every single morning, except on Sundays, Sabbath day, when God provided Dunkin' Donuts. It was really awesome that day. (laughs) Thank you, Sandy. (laughs) But God provided for them supernatural food. You know what the Bible says about their clothing? They wore the same clothes without wearing out or their shoes for 40 years. Now, some of you, that's a fate worse than death, having to wear the same clothes for four days, let alone 40 years, right? But isn't it interesting? 40 years and their, cl- their clothes did not wear out. God provided for them food. He provided for them leadership and guidance through the pillar of fire and the cloud. He provided supernatural victories over their enemies. He provided, you know, guidance and, and weeding out of some negative things in the camp and bringing some of the good things in. Until finally, 40 years later, guess what? They were ready to move into another season. And that's where we find ourselves in this story. They're now ready to move into the third phase. And so already we find how they're being led, completely different, right? No pillar, no fire. Now it's the Ark of the Covenant. Later on in Scripture, we won't get to it this morning, but later on in Joshua, it says that the minute they crossed the Jordan and got into the promised land, no more manna. It says when they plucked the fruit of the trees and the fruit of the land, when they began to eat from the fruit of the, of the land of, of plenty, the promised land, filled with milk and honey, the Bible says, this glorious place. When they moved into there, guess what? No more manna. Now they're living off the land. Now they're going to move into a whole new way of God providing for them. Isn't that interesting? Even in provision from slavery, you know, who knows how they were provided. It wasn't very much, of course. And then into manna and that whole season and then into the promised land. And now they're, they're going to be doing that thing different. Three different seasons, three different ways of provision, three different supernatural ways of God moving in their lives. So we move on in the story. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, if you want to turn there. Verse 5 says this, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went out ahead of the people. You know, it's interesting. Verse 5 there says this. It says that Joshua heard from God, and God said, Tell the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. There's a couple things on that. Look at the word consecrate. A lot of times if I say the word consecrate, what's the first thing that jumps into your head? Anybody? Consecrate. What? Con- <laughs> Not concentrate. Consecrate. Consecrate. Marriage. Marriage. Okay. What else? What? Bless. Okay. Anybody else? What? Purify. Right? Make holy. Right? So these are all parts of the word consecrate. They all are, tr- are in a sense true. But it's interesting. As I did a little study on this word consecrate, it, it actually means not only to make holy, but is the idea is this, to take secular things and make them spiritual. 
So in other words, if we're going to make it holy, what? We have to take what is secular or carnal or, or, or our flesh, and we take that thing and we turn it over and we turn it into something spiritual, something holy that God can do. Now that may be our own mind, our own thoughts, right? How many of you ever have, in the words of Joyce Myers, how many of you ever have stinking thinking? Anybody? <laughs> right? Some stinking thinking. And uh, I love it because... Here's the thing about stinking thinking. It doesn't have to stay that way. When we consecrate our thought life, we say, Lord, change the way I think about a situation. Change the way I process things. I was raised in um, a wonderful family. Uh, many of you know my father and my mother. And, and I was raised in the Assemblies of God. I was raised in a Pentecostal church setting. But as any, many of you know, when you're in a church setting, a lot of times shame can be a big part of how people are controlled. You know? How many of you ever were told these words when you were a kid? Shame on you. Raise your hand. Hey, shame on you for raising your hand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> shame on you, right? I, and, and I didn't get a lot of it from home, but I did get a lot of it from other people. So I was a pastor's kid and a missionary kid most of my life, and people would often, through sometimes saying it, sometimes implying it, that because you're a preacher's kid, you're supposed to be better than other kids. Okay? How many of you know that's pretty hard bur burden to carry as a kid who's like, you know, picks his nose and does all kind of weird things as a little boy, right? I just didn't get it right. And it was so oftentimes that I felt like, ooh, your dad's the pastor. You shouldn't, you know, do this and that or whatever. And I remember thinking... That's not fair. My buddy, Mike, over here, he's the same as me, but I got to carry this burden of doing this. And shame came into the deal. And maybe you lived in a family where there was a lot of guilt and shame. Some of you were raised uh, in different religions and different denominations. There are some, you know, that churches that really rely on shame to get you to do things or to keep you in line, right? How many of you have experienced that in a church setting at all, Right? I will tell you, there is one word that I will not let my kids or anybody in my family or anybody around my family say. So if you want to get Papa Bear to rise up, just say the word shame to one of my kids. Because I don't even allow it in my home. Even joking if the kids say, well, shame on you. For nope, sorry. Shame is not allowed in this house. Why? Because there's no shame when I'm a son and, or a daughter of the king, right? When I'm a prince or a princess, right, depending on who you are. See, I don't have shame or guilt. I don't have somebody controlling me. I get to follow my daddy in this love relationship. And here's the thing. And again, this is kind of a Bill Johnson thing. He says this, Jesus is good theology, right? So do we ever see Jesus shaming anyone to get some process out of them? No, never, right? He, even the people that deserve it, if you will, shame. The woman who got caught in adultery and, you know, they're wanting to stone her. Jesus shows up and says, listen, all y'all are just as bad who's ever not sinned. You go ahead and throw the first one. <laughs> you know, and they all kind of wandered away, right? So even when he had opportunity to bring shame into the mix, he doesn't. He says, listen, I do things different, and God does things different. It's not just the way, you know, like this. So we find that that. There's these different ways that God wants to do it. So when he says consecrate yourselves, we understand there's things that probably need to be changed in our lives, right? How many of you would say, 
There's probably some things in my thinking or the way I do things or how I'm spending my money or my time that could, that could change, right? And I believe that God would say to us this morning, to consecrate ourselves means to take the thing that is secular or carnal and we flip it over and we say, now I'm going to use it for the kingdom. You know, there are people that, that have uh, spent a lot of money on themselves. Over the next few weeks and months, we're going to be challenging you to take your money that you would use in a secular or carnal way, and I want you to flip it and consecrate it, and I want you to give it to the, to the kingdom, to give it to the Lord. And it's interesting because Joshua says to them, well, actually, God said to Joshua to tell them, listen, have the people consecrate themselves. Consecrate yourself. See, shame and guilt says, I need to make you holy and do this, this, and this, and this. But God doesn't work that way. He says, listen, you consecrate yourself. You listen to my voice. I will, God will instruct us in what to do and what not to do and where to invest our time and our money. But he says, listen, consecrate yourselves, right? For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You see, I think there's a connection there. That God can do much more with one who is submitted to his will, who is consecrated and says, Lord, it's you. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to spend my money for myself. I'm not going to use up all my time for myself. I want to I do it for your kingdom. I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. And it's interesting, when somebody will commit and consecrate themselves to God in that way, God will say, yes, I will use you. And supernatural things are going to happen through you. You, you know what I'm saying is true. And I know many of you can even look at people around you and say, that person, take money again, for instance, that person tithes and gives money and, and, they, and they give to the Lord a great, and God just keeps blessing them. God keeps doing the great things. I know we talk about the shavers a lot and some different people, the Lilas. God keeps blessing them. They keep giving it away. They keep trying to give it away, but God keeps giving them more, and then they want to give that away too, Right? You see, when we consecrate ourselves and we take our secular and carnal things and we say, Lord, use it for the, for, the, for the kingdom. Flip it over and use it to your glory. God steps in and says, yeah, I can do that. I can do a lot with that. You know, the other thing that it is that this word consecrate also, some of the Hebrew meaning of it, has to do with inheritance. Which I thought was really interesting. That God wants to, when we consecrate these things, it actually becomes our inheritance. When we flip this thing over, then God blesses the things that are given to him. And so when we consecrate ourselves, we say, yes, Lord, to what you're doing in your kingdom. We flip our stuff and we take it over, and it actually becomes our inheritance. It becomes a blessing not only to us, but our future generations and those that come after us. I want to tell you something, and I know many of you have the same heart. We want our kids to experience things that we never had. Like I don't, I'm not letting my kids be growing up with shame. The other day my son, this pastor's kid thing came up with Sam and somebody had said something to him about being the pastor's kid. I said, nope, you're not a pastor's kid. Well, yeah, but I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to, yep, you know what? If Jesus is who he says he is and if you've given your life to him, that is all that matters. Really, listen to his voice and not to anybody else, right? So when we begin to do that, we find that God begins to change the situation. Amen. I'm going to speed things along here just a little bit. Joshua chapter 3, verse 7 then. Move, move to there if you would with me. 
Verse 7, now the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And again, I love this verse because it's very personal for me in the sense that I get to take that for myself and say, Lord, you are going to do some things in me and in the future that are going to be awesome. But I want you to take the verse and I want you to make it personal as well this morning. That God actually wants to use you and your situation to show his might. Here's what I call it. That God wants to show off in your life and in in the people around you. God, you know, it's almost as if God wants to just show his might and he wants to show his love and he wants to do that. And here's the thing, it's not contingent upon the past. It's not contingent upon where we were or the last season. This is about the new season, the new thing that God is doing. He's promising supernatural provision and miracles. So jump down to verse 10, Joshua 3.10. And I encourage you again to read the whole chapter, but we're, we're doing some of the highlights here. Verse 10. Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, and the Girgashite, and the Amorite. Are you kidding me? The ites, all the ites, okay? What is he saying there? What is he saying there? That oftentimes when we move into a new season, we also move into the enemy's territory, I'm pretty sure the devil is not looking at our, our uh, mission statement about being a regional revival apostolic center, right, about the supernatural love and power of God. And I'm pretty sure the enemy is not going, hey, yeah, just go for it. You guys, great, no problem, you know. No, I'm pretty sure that the enemy is going, no, this has been my territory for a long time, and y'all aren't welcome, right? How many of you think that the enemy wants marriages healed, how many of you think the enemy wants people to come to Christ, right? How many of you think that, that the enemy wants people to get healed and, and, and delivered from bondages and, and habits and addictions and all that garbage? Of course not. That's his territory. We're talking about moving into the enemy's territory. But don't you love God? He says, listen. <laughs> he says, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and he will assuredly dispossess from before you all this junk, all this stuff. See, there's some words that I love. Jesus says, uh, surely I say unto you, or, or, or truly, he says, right? I love here in the Old Testament, same idea, assuredly. What does that mean? It means it's a done deal. For sure this is going to happen. If we will consecrate ourselves and get on the right page with God and say, Lord, use me. Let's do this thing. God says, assuredly, I will do this. Assuredly, I will, right? And the word dispossessed is such a great word in the Hebrew there. I did a little research on this. And the word dispossessed obviously means to take with might something from someone else and take it from them and give it to either yourself or someone around you, right? But you know what else it it implies? Again, it goes back to that word inheritance. Like God actually takes the things that are bondage and death of our world and flips it around with his love and power and actually makes it our inheritance. Case in point. Have you ever seen God take a life that was totally destroyed? 
take a life that was just lost, maybe in bondage, you know, addiction, demonic stuff, health, whatever, and, and God shows up and does great things. And what happens to that person? They actually become an inheritance to the kingdom, right? They become an inheritance not only to God, but like we in this church, I can look around even in this room and I can see person after person that you are now an inheritance. You were that, but God has changed you and brought you out of that and now you're an inheritance. And inheritance has to do not only with us, but also with those that follow after us. Many of you know my father. You know, my father was raised in an alcoholic home. And my mom, too, they were both from alcoholic, child abuse, you know, just violence. I mean, everything bad you could think of that was in, their, in our family. And my parents loved to say this. They say that when they received, when they accepted Christ, that the chain was broken. The chain was broken. The chain of addiction, the chain of demonic oppression, the chain of alcoholism, the chain of abuse, the chain of violence, all those things that were in the Abbott and DeBoard family. When my parents got together and got saved, it broke the chain. And I'm going to tell you this, previous to that, for generations as far back as they could go, alcohol ruled in my family. Drugs and, and violence and uh, all kind of adultery and all every weird thing you could think of, every horrible thing of the enemy was the, was the inheritance of my family until Christ comes on the scene. And my mom and dad got saved. And guess what? Now they have three kids who are serving the Lord. My grandma came to the Lord. My, all my brothers, my, my dad's two brothers, there's three of them, they all came to the Lord. Two of them are, are in the ministry right now. All of them are loving Jesus. All of them are raising kids, and some of those kids are now being raised up and moving into full-time ministry. And if not there, then they're reaching their lives and their friends and their loved ones around them. You talk about an inheritance, right? All of a sudden, God takes this horrible stuff that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he breaks it around. He turns it into an inheritance. Can you just imagine with me for a second? That was one family. My parents, one family, those, my mom and my dad, they broke the chain, one family, and all that God has done since then. Can you imagine with me for a second what that might be like in Lake County, in Gurnee, in Zion, in Waukegan? Uh, this family gets the chains broken, and they begin to get set free, and they have loved ones come to Christ, and they have things that begin to happen, and the supernatural begins to become natural and normal in their lives. All this, could you imagine the ripple effect in this county, in this whole region? You talk about an inheritance, right? That's amazing. I might just get preaching here in a second if you're not careful. <laughs> new seasons, we get new things. Don't you love the idea that God rips it out of the hands of the enemy and he gives it to you and I? I want to tell you, I think that not only applies in the spiritual with, with families and that kind of stuff, I believe that God's going to do the same thing with finances in our lives. I believe that God, and we've had some prophecy on this, that God's going to take, as, the, as Isaiah and several of the prophets say, the wealth of the wicked is going to become ours. That as we are faithful to our giving and what God wants us to do, that God is actually going to begin to move. One of the words that we've received is a benefactor. Like there's going to be people that have a lot of money that are going to now begin to invest in the inheritance of the kingdom for us. And I believe with all my heart that God isn't cheap. I believe God is not only wealthy, but he's generous. Amen? 
And God is going to take care of us. And he's going to make those things that the enemy had and turn them into an inheritance for us. And so let's close. Joshua chapter 3, the last few verses here, 14 to 17. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people. Now, folks, I can't express this enough how different this was than how they had previously been led. Right? They're looking at the priests, and they're half a mile out, and everybody's watching. And the presence of God through his servants is leading the people. Verse 15, and when those who carried the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, then it says, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. So it tells us that not only is this Jordan this big river, but it's at flood stage as well. So it's just, it's way over its banks, and the water's there. And I, I imagine the children of Israel looking at this, thinking they probably have a history. I mean, think back. 40 years ago, they've heard stories of crossing the Red Sea and God doing it with Moses and that whole thing. Now they're in a, gone through a totally different season. They're in a totally different place, and they've got a new leader. And I'm sure they're wondering, is, 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 uh, is what happened long ago, is that really true? And how many of you know that sometimes even if we, <laughs> if we know something to be true, that there are sometimes in our lives where the circumstances in front of us still are daunting. Could you imagine standing there? And you know you have to get to the other side because Jericho, the, the mighty city, is on the other side of the river. And you're standing there and you're looking at a river at flood stage. For those of you that have ever been seen a river at flood stage or in the Rockies or some of the big rivers and different things. I remember I lived in a town in Washington and at the foot of the, of the mountains was, was where our town was. And when there was a big snow or a big melt in the spring, that river was impossible. Some people actually tried to swim in it and they were swept all the way out to Puget Sound. I mean, literally, it would wipe them all the way out to the sea. So they're looking at this raging river and I'm sure the people are going, God, are you going to come through? What, how, how's this going to work? And I love this. Because God always responds to faith. What does it say? That the priests walk forward, and it says here, when their feet were dipped in the edge of the water as they carried the ark, verse 16, verse 16 the waters which were flowing down from above from the, stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away. List some of those places. And then it says they were completely cut off. The waters were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on ground, on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. I will tell you this morning that God has a plan, and it's a good one. Whether we can see it because of the raging river or not. Your destination is on the other side. Our destination is on the other side. And I love the fact that as the priests put their tootsies in the water, right? I just love that picture. Raging river. And the priests are carrying the ark. Those guys, I mean, they had to have the faith, right? Because they're the ones that are going to start marching out into this river. I mean, who knows? Is the whole thing going to get wiped away or what's going to happen? But they were the ones that put their foot in the water. And I believe this morning God is calling some of us to do the same thing. I believe that God is calling you and I 
to step out in faith, to take the promises, not only of the past and how he's come through in the past, but now in this new season. I wasn't planning on spending a lot of time this morning on that whole listening to the voice of God thing. I didn't, I didn't really put two and two together until now, but I am, I am feeling right now that God is saying, listen, if you will listen to my voice and obey what I tell you, these amazing supernatural things are going to happen. And in a sense, he's saying, put your feet in the water and take a step out. And here's the phrase I, I, want, you to, I want you to have today. God is going to back you up. He's going to back you up. He's going to back you up. So why don't you stand your feet with me as we close this morning. As I was praying into and preparing the the message this morning, I want you to take a little journey with me. The children of Israel were in bondage and slavery. Remember we talked about that? And God began to show me that back even a few years ago, we were in bondage financially. We were in a place where there was some religious stuff going on in our church and and there was some, some things that were going on that we needed to be set free from. The deacons and I, when we when we were in the meeting deciding what to do with the old building. I mean, we had a group not much bigger than this, and we were pulling a $14,000 mortgage every month. I don't know if you know much about mortgage payments, but that's a lot of money in addition to all the other things. And we felt like God said, listen, I want to set you free from the bondage of that building and set you free from the bondage of that financial thing. And he began to move us into a new season, didn't he? He moved us into a new season where we miraculously found this building and and the miracle of finances and how God provided and the people gave and all of the different things. And, of course, Mike and and the team were, as we worked on this building and did all these things, God brought us into into this new season, right? And now that we're in this season, we've been in this season, isn't there an anticipation of moving on into the next season? Like, I believe that God, in some ways, it's been frustrating for some of us because we've talked about the supernatural and we've talked about signs and wonders and we've seen bits and pieces of it, enough, if you will, manna to sustain us. But I believe that God has now taken us into a new season as we set foot into the Jordan and move into the promised land. There's going to be provision. There's going to be power, things we've never, ever imagined. And so, Lord, this morning, I thank you, God, that as you've shown us through the, the shadow of Old Testament, Lord. You've shown us through the, the paradigm of you loving your people and moving them and changing seasons and doing things in new ways. That you show us almost like a, a projection into our future of the things you have for us. And so, Lord, we say yes to the vision. We want to own the vision, what you're giving to us. I thank you, God, that today... We get a chance to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you, God, that we get to be a part of what you're doing. And we embrace the new season. We embrace consecrating our hearts, and we embrace the inheritance that you have set aside for us. And we thank you for it today. All God's people said, 
Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Uh, let's take about...